You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hope you brought an apple for the teacher because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome to another edition of the Star Seminar, the team talk course for all the girls in the class. Sit in the front row, blink slowly so they can see that, so we can see that they have I love you written on their <laughs> eyelids. <laughs> Oh, yes, in fact, it's team taught by Professor Danny Fenton and Professor Rabble Rouser. Professor Fenton, how are you today? You know, was that an Indiana Jones reference? It might well have been. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's funny you bring that up because um, I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do this summer. So you, as as you know, I got the fence built. Um, mm-hmm. Still got to stain it, but... Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that part of it. It should be kind of a breezy, uh, you know, summer evening type of task. But um, I'm trying to think of like what movies to go watch. And last week, when uh, when I was finishing up the fence, my wife took our granddaughters to see the new Jurassic Park movie. I guess that's number six. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I myself haven't been too jacked about it. Of course, I've heard a lot of people talk about how it's a big disappointment. You know, it's got all the big stars coming back and the, the two the two stories you know the characters mixing stuff so i'm like not super excited about about witnessing that however i will say this if if you don't know this about me already i i was a huge fan of the original jurassic park in 1993 in fact in the summer of 93 i actually saw that movie 10 times in the theater it was uh anybody that hadn't seen it i would be like you got to see this and then i'd go see go see it with them and go see it with them and in fact in fact, the number 10 time was with my future, what would eventually become my uh, future wife. Uh, but yeah, I saw Jurassic Park 10 times in the theater in the summer of 93. But I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite summer blockbuster? It's funny because mine also involves a toothsome predator. Uh, mine was actually Jaws. So uh, when I was a, when I was a, a kid... Um, we had on my mom's side of the family, we had relatives who lived up in Oregon and Washington. So we used to drive up um, the coast through the Pacific Northwest, um, oftentimes in the summers to sort of go visit them. And they were scattered all through from Portland up to Yakima, basically. And um, one of them was, he was like, there was like a family of like, my mom's mom was one of like 10 kids. And so there were like 10 kids spread all over the place. And he was the one who stayed home and stayed with his elderly mom who lived to be like 103. 
And so he was like one of those those guys who, you know, like sort of lived at home with his mother, but he and his job was um, as the sort of projectionist at the local cinema. And of course, I was at the time, maybe eight or nine. And so, of course, he had the coolest job in the world, right? There was no better job. You got to basically see all the movies for free. And so he's, he uh, snuck me into Jaws, uh, basically. And so it was a cool, it was a cool experience being able to see Jaws, you know, because like I got in, even though probably I was like too young or something, but, um, but also I just remember like from the very beginning with the theme and like the, if you remember the credits of Jaws are like the underwater camera works oh, and yeah. going, going, going through the seaweed and everything. And it just scared the living bejesus out of me. And, um, you know, it's funny that we both picked Spielberg blockbuster movies as well, because. I think he does have some faults as a director, but he's such a good storyteller and he's such a, he's so good at setting pace and tempo. And then that movie had so much tension that the tension just built and built and built, you know, like you didn't see the shark for a long time. You didn't like there were, there was a scene where um, the Richard Dreyfuss character is like scuba diving underneath a boat and there's a hole in it. And then like, you know, the victim like falls through it at the very end and you're, you keep waiting for the shark and the shark doesn't show up. And then that head shows up and it's just like, it's, it's so well, it's so well crafted, you know, just, just like that, you know, the scene, I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant scene in Jurassic park where, you know, the scene where the, um, the T-Rex finally attacks the, the, the kids in the Jeep, you know, and um, they're like spazzing out and flashing the lights. And, and then one of them, they, they flash the light on his eye and the, and the iris, like the iris, you know, uh, expands. And it's just like, like the little details like that are so smart. And um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I went and saw that movie several times. And while I was, while I was up there visiting and I, I like had dreams and nightmares about it. Like I was, like I would have dreams about like, like being in my bed where I was sleeping at their house uh, and like there being water and sharks all around the bed. It just like it, and I've been terrified of sharks ever since, but it, um, it just absolutely captured and mesmerized like nine or 10 year old me. Yeah, no, that I mean, you know, I'm in the same boat with the jaws too. Cause I mean, I, that movie scarred me when I was little. Um, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on, on TV and, mm-hmm. uh, but, and I, you know, I, I don't go in the ocean. I mean, I'll go, I'll wade a little bit, but I won't get, over my head and not just because i mean there's i have no control over that i mean just at any given point a creature from the sea you know could just come and just decide to take your you know decide your fate and you so it's like nope that's their world i'm out of it jaws did it for me uh just want no part of it i will i want to say this though too that you funny thing you you bring up that scene i think one of the reasons that that was so intense with the jeep scene in jurassic is because we know that Spielberg is not, you know, above like something tragically happened to a child because we saw what happened in Jaws. I mean, he, mm. I mean, that was one of the, you know, more unexpected scenes, you know, I think, you know, cause in movies you kind of expect bad things to happen to, to certain people, but you, you don't expect like an innocent child to, to, you know, get eaten. And, you know, that, yeah. that kid, Alex Kinter, I think was his name. And, and uh, yeah, he was just on his little boat, and then they just see the, the you know, quick shark attack thing. And so I mean, was was that the one had like the yellow floaty, and then like, then, like yes. the, the bitten, bloody floaty, like like you know, comes back with the tide. Yeah, I and, mean, and but, his mom is like on the shore, going, "Where's Alex?" And then they come. Yeah, it's just it's just like it's so good. It's it's, it's so oh, it's mean, so sim- It's so simple, but also like it's this little town. It relies on it. Re- obviously, relies on tourism. And and the, like the town fathers in this little inconsequential town are so corrupt 
you know they're all like trying to keep the beaches open it's just it's a, it's a wonderful slice of americana you know this great new the little new england town it's just it's, it's fantastic or actually it's, i guess it's new york it's supposed to be long island isn't it uh it's great it's it's a great movie um so yeah uh great choices and, and i frankly both of them i mean they're both movies that absolutely like blew my mind when i saw them in the theater yeah and i know jaws you know that you look back at now and you think uh you know it's pretty cheesy special effects and um but of course you know like you said they don't even you don't even see the shark forever and which is such a great way to build up you know build up that anticipation and stuff um and of course and then jurassic is quite different in the sense of like it was a groundbreaking uh special effects at the time mm-hmm. and it was so it was it was pretty. It was pretty amazing. I, I I have to say both those films. I I think that they, if I'm not mistaken, they, well, and I, the Jaws was the highest grossing film of its time, and then eventually, um, I think E.T. You know, there are a lot of Star Wars and stuff that passed, but I think Jurassic actually eventually became the highest grossing film of all time too. So it's it's uh it's kind of weird that you know. Just, yeah, and, and and honestly, like the fact that we even call anything a summer blockbuster is because of Jaws, because Jaws was yeah. just a sensation, and people were lining up around. That was actually one of the other reasons why it was so cool to know the projectionist, right? Because people were lining up around the around the block to see this movie, and um, I think that it changed it changed the way that Hollywood thinks about producing and releasing movies. They were like, oh, wait a second, we need to start thinking about like what's this big action film we're going to be releasing in the summer, and so that that tradition started with Jaws. Yeah. No, you know what? It's and it's a it's a big money maker. And uh, you sure. know, when you got when you when you have a good product, you know, people people are gonna pay for it and uh, you know, some things are worth the money. And speaking of which, Rabs, I wanna talk about someone who I think is worth the money. Um nice transition. All right. Okay, who who you got in mind? Well, as everyone knows now, um it's unless something changes Really quick, it appears that Dalton Schultz will be playing the 2022 season under the franchise tag. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most of us kind of expected it to happen. I think there might be a few of us, uh, as I raise my hand, uh, that were hoping that something would really start to just take off, uh, you know, right toward the end, you know, like, uh, and get him signed. Because I honestly, me personally, I, I thought the Cowboys were going to let him walk and um in free agency i thought that would be mm-hmm. that was the end of it I, I was hoping they would work some sort of deal this time last year because i've heard i was sold on him after last year and i i thought maybe we could get him for a good price of course you know that's his agent probably has different thoughts on that but um that didn't nonetheless it didn't happen so i figured okay last year for schultz we're not going to have him and then the cowboy surprised me by tagging him because now I started thinking, well, do they have long-term plans for him? I mean, is it possible that... Because, you know, when they tag players, you're looking at they're either doing it as a placeholder, you know, or, mm-hmm. or or you have the situation, well, it's like, we're not quite convinced yet. So, you know what, we're going to... We want to see one more year. You know, like with Lawrence. Remember DeMarcus Lawrence, he had, like, that good season, but, you know, he had some injuries that kind of slowed him down early. And so, so it's like, you want to see a little more. So there's there are these these other uh, possible reasons. And I, I wasn't quite sure what the Cowboys were up to. Cause I felt like, okay, they know what they have in Schultz. So there's, that can't be the reason. So is it a placeholder? So, 
So I don't know. I mean, are you surprised? I guess my first question for you is, are you, are you surprised that um, this is going down the way it's going down? Not in the least. I, I would have been surprised if anything else happened. Um, I, I don't. I, so there's a couple things. One, I don't. I mean, the history of the way the Cowboys have negotiated recently suggests that they're not going to do anything until the 11th hour. And the 11th hour is not this hour. It's, it's the 11th hour next free agency period. Um, and they may still yet do something, but I also think that they probably won't. I think that, I think that there's, there's some reasons why they're probably not going to. And this, and this is, in many ways, it, it, it could be a version of wait and see, but I think it's also a version of we don't have an immediate uh, in-house replacement. We need to get one. And then once we have one, we're going to dispense with the one we have. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Rabs, I don't like it. Um, I'm not happy about it. Really? I, I think uh, I think they made a mistake here. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that Schultz is an important piece of this offense. And I, the reason he's important is because he, he has such a good connection with, with Prescott. And I think, obviously, we both can agree that Dak is the most important thing to this offense. And the Cowboys have invested so much into making mm-hmm. this a, a Dak friendly type environment. And here you have one of the better Dak friendliest pieces to their, their mm-hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think you can just say, oh, let's okay. Let's just, we can get anybody in here to come in and, and do what he does. I think Schultz has proven himself. Uh, you know, I don't know if you heard, but Amari Cooper is not on this team anymore. Um, what? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. It's crazy. When, 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 did, when did that happen? I just I think it just happened not too long ago. I don't know. Um, but he, I mean, so Mari Cooper and Dalton Schultz had the same amount of targets last year. It kind of, mm-hmm. it, I think it kind of showed you. The last last season kind of spoke to like the the, the where the offense was going, which was less Amari and then more. Obviously, more CD. He led the team in targets, but also more Dalton Schultz. And I think he's just too valuable. He's Dak friendly, and the Cowboys made a mistake with this one. I think this is starting to shape up like a version of you're wrong, buddy. So I'm going to lead in with, uh, to, with my response to that with you're wrong, buddy. And what? here's why. What? I think that all the, all the points you make are good points. And I think that. Um, Uh, I think he's valuable for all the reasons you just articulated. But I, I also think it's really important to reiterate what I was suggesting earlier, which is I believe they have um, a, a sort of skill-to-skill replacement in the pipeline. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with our, our good friend, Matt Waldman, uh, or you know my friend, Matt Waldman. Um, He's a draft Nick and does a lot of stuff with fantasy. And he actually got in, uh, put it, uh, wrote a thread uh, earlier today, Thursday, um, in which he was talking about Dalton Schultz's fantasy value and what makes him valuable. And one, you know, he was saying a lot, a lot of things. But one of the things he said was, it's, it's, it, the Cowboys have a really good skill for skill replacement. And this, and he was talking when he was talking about skill for skill, he was enumerating the things that that Schultz. Uh, that makes Schultz successful that he that he relies on to win and I think in terms of those things Jake Ferguson has a lot of a lot of those things in in on his skill set as well I really think that the that them putting the tag on him was to buy time 
to, to find that, that person, identify them, bring them into the fold and then, and then um, coach them up. So I think we're going to get a year of seasoning with, um, with their the fourth round pick. And, um, and then, and then they're going to bid a due to Schultz and get a nice, a nice fat compensatory pick for them that they'll use to draft maybe another tight end or maybe an interior offensive lineman or something like that. Yeah. You know, Ferguson seems okay, but for, to, to bank on him being stepping in and being the Schultz guy. No, I, I, I just, I can't buy it. I mean, first off, let's, let's talk about this. You know, when do tight ends come in and, uh, you know, make an immediate impact? So we know that this first year that Schultz is still with the team is going to be development for Ferguson. So now you at that point, you are essentially banking on Ferguson being at a point where he's ready to take over, to hand him the keys, and ready to take over as the tight end one for the Cowboys. And... I, it's possible that 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 he that that happens, but I will say this: Dalton Schultz. I don't think people realize just how valuable he is. And first off, you know, there's a large debate about how good of a blocker he is. And people seem to just, you know, they they, they focus on a block that he doesn't make or something, but they don't mm-hmm. realize how many times that that he does execute the block, and that he's a big part of what makes the play work. Um, Schultz is a very solid blocker, and he was yeah, he yeah. Was he's a, a good, he's a good like seal block. He's not a drive blocker, but he's a good he's a good seal and right. position blocker. I mean, that's he, that's mm-hmm. what that was his bread and butter at Stanford. I mean, the guy didn't even mm-hmm. catch passes there, and uh, so he's fundamentally sound as a blocker. But I think because of that, it allows the Cowboys to use their offense in a way to where you don't really know what they're mm-hmm. going to do, like with with Jarwin. If you put him out there and, and expect him block, that's a liability. You're in trouble. But if if you just if you're going to use him exclusively as a pass catcher, fine. But then you're not. Teams know what what you know how to how they got to play him when you get when you're dealing with a player like Schultz. And I and I watched a lot of tape with this with Dalton too. And he's really good about it. you know he'll hold his blocks to the last second, and then he'll just like quickly disengage, and then he's just like out, just out in the open. And they did so many of these little bootlegs and this little. Uh, where this he just does a very good job getting in space and getting open and you know the same thing goes with with Jason Witten too is and he was very under underrated in this regard too is people just don't real I mean they don't really um, recognize or, or appreciate the precision of of that type of play to be able to suddenly just get yourself open mm-hmm. like that and 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 be in the right spot. And that is what Dalton does really well. I think he's he's a valuable piece to the offense because of because the Cowboys can do so many different things with him um, when he's on the field, and uh, you know that as far as they could, with the run game and 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 open up the passing game. So I just think he's he's too he's too valuable to to just you know let go. So I think that you know you you're using the word valuable, uh, my my oh so wrong friend, um, and I think that he may be a valuable player at a much less valuable position. So I think the thing I would say is that if we were to rank the positions on offense in terms of value, tight end would probably come in second to last, next to be um, right before center, really, uh, and and that, and that's behind offensive guard. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. 
Um, we'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about, about some of those, but I think one of them is that you don't need to be an elite athlete to be a good tight end, right? So um, when I say less valuable, it may, not, it may not be that it's less valuable to the offense or, you know, in the, in, especially in a passing league, but, but it's, it's less valuable in the sense of like, where are you going to invest your, your top draft picks? Where are you going to invest your, your, your resources and your capital? Because you're paying for elite athleticism because you need it at the position. I don't think you need it at, at a tight end. And, uh, you know, the guy you referenced earlier, Jason Witten, uh, you know, who, who, who ran like an old man from basically his third year in the league. I think is a great example of that got got spent his entire you know career getting open and no one can understand really why, and so um, I think that you can be incredibly successful in offense um, with a tight end who uh, isn't particularly athletic, and then you can find another guy. It's easy to find a replacement guy who's not particularly athletic um, because uh, because when we talk about value in this, in this way, it's, it's that you don't, you don't have to place an athletic premium on the position for the position to be effective within your offense, especially when you have quality receiving core, when you have a quality receiving core, that means that the safeties are going to be back. It means there's going to be a lot. Linebackers are going to be take a couple steps back. It means there's going to be a lot more space underneath. If you have a, if you have a reasonably smart guy, who's got a little bit of quickness, you don't need that, that elite seam stretcher, Right. Um, you don't need an Antonio Gates or, or a you know, peak of career Tony Gonzalez type of guy. What you need is just a sort of crafty guy who can, who can you know, has a little quickness to, to get uh, open underneath. And um, the reality is that those guys are easier to replace than the Tony Gonzalez's, right? That, that's, it's really hard to replace Gonzalez um, in terms of athleticism, not in terms of like his, I mean, his career. He's impossible to replace him. He's probably the best tight end ever. But, um, but in, terms of, in terms of athleticism, it's really hard to find that guy. Um, it's, it's actually, there's, there's a lot of Dalton Schultz's out there. You know what, Raps? I mean, I, I feel bad for saying this, but, but, but you're just, you're just so wrong, buddy. It's, oh my God. I, I can't believe you said that. I just, you know, I am so, <laughs> I get so tired of people waiting, waiting these positions and I understand. And, and if you were to fall, if you look at the books, they tell you what the value is and there's no doubt about, at certain positions are obviously more important and, and that's why those players make more money. That's clear to me. I, I, I will give you that, but good football players are good football players. And it doesn't mean that just because they're at a, a, a position like tight end that you could just fill it in with the next, next random guys. And the thing with Dalton is he's just not an average guy. People look at him and they don't see any sort of special ability with him, but he, he, you know, he is special. I mean, the skills are there, you know, he, he has, just, he's very quick and you know, it's, it's kind of deceptively quick too. And I, and I, I don't want to draw comparisons to the future hall of famer, former tight end of the Cowboys, but you know, for many years we had listened to people talk about how that Jason Witten wasn't athletic, but he was just all it was. He seemed like he was unguardable. And with Dalton Schultz, is because of the you know his elite suddenness and his craftiness, he does find those holes, he finds those creases, and he gets to those spots. and And I do think that is a valuable skill. And I don't care that he plays tight end, and I don't think you can just roll over to the next guy and uh, you know and expect to get similar results. And when you're talking. Let me put it this way to your Raz. When you're talking about a team that we know is already a good football team, 
and they're going to be, you know, contending in the playoffs and something's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to be in their favor or not. Every little bit counts. So when you have a, a, a player that could do a little bit better executing their blocks and, and getting their spots and getting that key first down that, that keeps that drive alive, that to me is a difference maker. And you pay for guys that you know can do that. And to me, Dalton Schultz is a, he's a sure thing. And I like sure things. So I, I think in some ways you, you, you the argument you make is, is right, but you're making it in the wrong direction because you were just talking about how you, my incredibly wrong friend, are, are talking, <laughs> we're just talking about um, uh, how that little difference can make all the difference. And I think that's absolutely right. But I would also argue that one thank, of the thank reasons you. that- Thank you, uh, but, but but you've misapplied it because uh, one of the reasons why the Cowboys have fallen short in recent years, I think, is because of where they've allocated their resources. So they've allocated resources, you know, in the middle of the last uh, the, the, the last decade to uh, a lot of interior offensive line, for example. Um, they, you know, they've, they've allocated resources to like middle linebackers and off ball linebackers and things like that. So. It, I, I think that one of the problems is the Cowboys are paying top of market for a position that we all admit gets makes less because it's less valuable. Um, but what that means then is that, is, that, is that they're investing in positions that, that make less of a difference on the field. And the reality is in a passing league, unless, in, unless your tight end is one of those seam stretcher guys, He's not particularly valuable, and the, the guy the guy who's going to make a, the biggest difference is the guy who who does give you that little extra, but at a premium difference making position. So if you're talking about uh, overpaying for a, a, a left tackle or a wide receiver or a corner, I'm all I'm all about it because those are the guys who actually make a difference. The tight end, the difference between a good tight end like Schultz and a, and an up and coming we hope tight end who doesn't have his skill set like Ferguson. Is is ultimately in this great scheme of things much less important than the difference between CD Lamb and you know um, I don't know who, who's a, who's a, who's an up and coming receiver that Jalen Tolbert or some, somebody who's the, the sort of Ferguson um, you know equivalent in the wide receiver room and so the the key then is the Cowboys are need to start to think about shifting their resources to more important positions I think for too long. They've paid premiums at, at less important positions. And so when it, when it comes to nut cutting time at the end of seasons and in the playoffs, they don't have difference makers always at those more important positions. They have a difference maker at center. Well, so what? Center's not important. You know, that, that, the, 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 the difference in terms of impact on the game that an elite center like Travis Frederick make, it makes is still going to be less because of the position he plays than it is for a wide receiver who's elite. So, my point is they need to save their money and they need to allocate their resources for difference makers at the money five position. And guess who's coming down the pipeline? A, an elite blue chip wide receiver and an elite blue chip cornerback. That's who they need to pay. And if, that, and, and if, if, if uh, overpaying for Dalton Schultz in any way threatens that, and frankly, they need to have money in the pipeline for an elite pass rusher in Micah Parsons. Um, and all those guys are going to command top, top, top of market money because they are uh, all elite in different ways. And, um, and the reason that the Cowboys are so promising is because they're elite at important difference-making positions. 
And, um, and if, that, if that means they have to, to take a step back in terms of quality of tight end, then that is absolutely the right decision from a resource allocation perspective. Fair enough. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're making sense. Um, I'm hearing what you're saying. If, if... Are you smelling what I'm stepping <laughs> in, my friends? No, I mean, and that is the, this, the big debate with this. And I think a lot of people share your same feeling on this. And you definitely, you, you want to be smart about where you put your money. And if you definitely, if, if you do have a player like Ferguson that's, that, you know, turns out to, to play well, then, you know, you then you, you're going to save a lot by, by moving on from Schultz and, and taking advantage of a rookie contract if you're getting good contribution from, from Ferguson. But I just do, I think that Schultz has, has proven his value to the offense. And, you know, I, I just don't, I, I'm a little bit uneasy about life without, you know, Prescott's, you know, security blanket. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, it worries me a little. And, uh, and I don't, I don't have any problem with paying for, you know, insurance, so to speak. And you know, even though I know it's like maybe not the best use of your money, but at the same time, you're not going to get, you know, caught in a bad situation. And I, and I think that uh, I like, I like the insurance that Dalton provides for the Cowboys. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I, listen, there's, there's no. Like we've talked about before, there's no wrong way necessarily to build a roster. You can do it different ways. I, I, I would I would want to make sure that like so if I'm if I'm drafting, I'm never drafting somebody who's not a money five position in the first round. I want the best talent I can get at those at the most difference making positions. And then I want to keep them and pay them if they're good, you know. And uh, and I'll and I'll fill in the roster with 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 third and fourth rounders everywhere else. Because I, I think you I think the drop off while it while it is real is not as significant because those, those positions don't make the same difference. Yeah. No, on the field. So anyway, speaking, um, speaking of a wrong yes. way to build a roster. Yes. Nicely done, <laughs> sir. Yes. What do we, uh, what, what are we going to talk about today with, uh, we got, a uh, another team, you know? Yeah. So, so we're in week two of our three week analysis of our, um, NFC, East rivals uh, last week for those of you who missed it and if you did you made some seriously wrong life choices uh, last week we talked about the two games against the New York uh, Giants and this week we're going to talk about the two games against the Washington team alternately known as wash team the commanders or some people are still referring to them to their old racist nickname um, so uh, Interesting, interesting pair of games because they, they both happened fairly late in the season. They were sandwiched around the second New York Giants game that we talked about last week. Um, and so I think sometimes when you look at those division games, they really, as the Giants games did, give you a picture of the way the team has grown or changed or shifted or, or you know, the, the way that the sort of season has, has shaped in, uh, the, the team. And you can see a real difference uh, between the two teams, between games one and two. When they play two games in three weeks, it's a lot harder to see that. So uh, it's, uh, it doesn't offer the same kind of perspective. Nonetheless, I think there was two very interesting games. So first game um, was uh, at, uh, at Washington. Um, Cowboys go to Washington. Um, they've just, uh, they're trying to, they're, they're sort of in the process of trying to right the ship after a little bit of a, a sort of like post-Thanksgiving hiccup. So, um, thoughts, thoughts about that, 
that first that first uh, Cowboys at Commanders game. Yeah. So my thoughts are when when that game was going on, it was kind of in the middle of for me. It was like what's going on with Dak Prescott, and I was having this mm-hmm. issue, and I think it felt like Cowboys. Cowboys Nation was like still had a little more belief in Dak than I did at that time because I to me I felt like something was seriously not right with with those with his play and his decisions and and but then the rest the 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 Washington game um, actually people started turning on Dak pretty quick and uh, I mean because Dak had a terrible game uh, there was it was he I mean he almost lost it the Cowboys. They you know they jump off. They jump out to a twenty-four to nothing lead in the in the mm-hmm, first half, and mm-hmm. I mean this game was just like it's over. And um, of course, that big lead was a result of stellar defensive play, and nothing to do really with with offense. I think they only had one touchdown. The offense only scored one touchdown. It came from a short field, um, and that's when that Randy Gregory deflected the pass himself and then caught it because, you know, Randy Gregory mm-hmm. is so awesome. And uh, and so, yeah, so the defense totally was just controlling the game. Off- offense was just coming along for the ride. And then at the end, in the second half, they were, seemed like they were trying to find ways to blow it. And that's when Dak just completely, you know, threw that pick six um, to, was it? Cole Holcomb. Cole Holcomb, yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's like, are we going to? Are we going to lose this game? Are you kidding me? And, and, and actually, the Cowboys too. They uh, they end up punting. I think so. After the pick six, they get the ball back. They still could just run the run the clock out. But no offense, don't have it in them. And then so the defense has to come through again. So um, that my impression of that game was just really it was one of the most nail biting blowouts I have seen, and from the Cowboys. And I guess. It didn't end up as a blowout, but it certainly started out that way. And so I was, yeah, I was, I guess it was kind of sickening to, to, to witness that one. Yeah, it was a tough one. I, I actually was at that game. I, um, I tend to uh, go see the Cowboys play at Washington every year. Um, and even though that, that stadium is a, is a crime against humanity. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's an easy train trip down from philadelphia where i live and sometimes i'll go with a buddy of mine and sometimes i'll go alone i went alone last year because he wasn't comfortable in crowds yet and um you know it was it was just like the first the first it was 18 nothing first quarter lead 24 nothing halftime lead uh the, the defense was absolutely dominant as you said like they were completely in control one of the things you mentioned earlier was randy gregory and you know re-watching this game it just reminded me of of what he's he's capable of doing in terms of taking over a game, you know, and uh, I think he did that several times late in the season. I think we might have even talked about how he did that last year in, in the Giants game as well. Um, and you know, this remains the the one thing that I'm frustrated that the Cowboys didn't accomplish in the offseason. You were asking me last week about their free agents and who I wish they had 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 brought on board. Like, is there a free agent you wish they had signed? And I said, yeah, Grandy Gregory, and. Um, because I think that I think he's a special player. I really do. And I think that, um, I mean, he, you know, who knows what's going to happen because I think we all know that he's had um, availability issues and he's not always, you know, playing a whole season or ever playing a whole season, but man, when he's on, he is on. And, uh, and this was one of those games and 
you know, he made play after play, like you were just saying. He, he, he that, that tipped ball was a, a marvelous athletic wonder. He, uh, he was influential in, in, the, in the fumble at the end that sealed the game when the offense clearly wasn't going to be able to, to sort of take over the game themselves or, or do anything. And, and momentum had really, sh- you know, had really shifted in the stadium. And so, uh, I, you know, I hope that they can replace that because that, that was something that was uh, really magical. But it's also interesting that, I mean, Dak had a, let, let, let's be clear, Dak had a bad game. Um, they actually, they actually seemingly pulled Zeke at, at midway through the third quarter, maybe even a third of the way through the third quarter, uh, with that big lead. And then, you know, Corey Clement got more rushes than Zeke did in this game. I think Zeke had twelve, and Clement had thirteen. Oh wow! And and I think they, you know, because they ran Clement a lot in the third and into the fourth quarters until it got close again. Then they brought Zeke back in, so it was very clear that they they were invested in trying to get a big, not 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 too rest Zeke, but like they were invested in if they get a big lead. We're, we're going to rest the guys who really need the rest. And number one on that list was, was Zeke. It, it, very clear he wasn't, he wasn't doing well. If you remember, this is also a game that Tony Pollard was dinged up. He was actually dinged up the previous, you know, previous couple games, and this is the one where they found he just needed to sit him. And, um, and we saw what happened in the running game when he didn't have that explosive element. I think, I, I think C.D. Lamb had maybe one carry for, the, for like a 10-yard gain. I think Clement had one 10-yard run. But other than that, it was just a lot of really short little runs, and it was a really ineffective running game. And Washington's a good defensive line. They're, they're tough to run on. But it was you know, such a departure from, from earlier in the season when they were running so, so effectively. And um, this was, this was, a, this was a, a, the sort of fallow period in, in – um, in Dak's season too. I mean, uh, he had one game all year where he threw for fewer yards, but that was against Carolina where they didn't need to throw for a lot of yards because they ran for over 200 yards. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and so it was, you know, one of those things where it was a little bit deceptive. This is a game where they really needed him to be able to pass the ball because they couldn't run the ball at all. And he only threw for 211 so, yards and had a very, very inefficient game. Were you, let me, very inefficient. Let me ask you, were you, were you worried about our quarterback at that point in time? I was actually worried about a quarterback before then. Okay, so you, all right, so yeah, I mean, so to me, to me, um, I mean, to me, the basic of the game confirmed my priors. Like I, I, I had been seeing the, the, a Cowboy team that that uh, could no longer rely on their offense, in particular, no longer uh, uh, um, rely on explosive plays to. Um, you know, to, to, to drive down the field and, 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 you know, increase, increase their chances of scoring. I mean, there's a strong, strong correlation between uh, explosive plays and scoring drives. And if you can't generate exclo- explosives, you are really going to have a hard time scoring. And they, they, they stopped after new England, they stopped being able to generate explosives in either the passing or the running game. They did, you know, occasionally here and there, but they really struggled with that. And so I, it was, it was very clear. It was like, this, I, I just sort of, saw this happening and, 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 you know, it happened again. And I was just like, man, good thing. This defense is so good because the offense is really not doing their part. And even that scoring drive that you referenced earlier after the, after the, the Randy Gregory, you know, um, tip pass and, and then recover, you know, recover for an interception. If you recall, like the big play on that drive was one where the, the uh, Washington was off sides. And so basically Dak got a free play. Mm. And so he threw it, he threw a deep pass. I think it was to Gallup. Um, that was a pretty big game. Or either Gallup or Lamb. Was, was, a pretty big was that game. this game? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was very. It was. It was like the first play after that. They threw it. They threw it like from the thirty to the ten. It was like a nineteen-yard, twenty-yard pass. It was like maybe, maybe even their longest pass of the game. There was another. There was another one in the third quarter that was a pretty long pass to Gallup. Um, but other than that, they just really struggled to push the ball down the field. And so there's, in some ways, that suggests that Dak was willing to push the ball down the field when he knew he had a free play. But the other times he he, he just wasn't. He was afraid to pull the trigger. He didn't trust things. It, it, in this game, like so many times when you watch, you know, you watch the game, you watch the all twenty two. It just feels like he's he's got something he sees and he, he starts to flinch toward it and he, and he doesn't trust it. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't. It feels like. I think I think that when an offense that's so explosive suddenly just like can't do anything, as we've talked about many times, there's not one reason for that. I feel like there was just this incredible confluence of problems that all kind of manifest at the same time. You know, Tyron Smith goes down, Dak gets hurt. Um, you know, Zeke Zeke is Zeke has has been hurt for a couple of weeks, and and, and he's he, and he's sort of flatlining in terms of his recovery. And all those things, and, and then of course the, the sort of problem with putting Lael Collins back in and out of the lineup, so they were sort of disturbing the the continuity. And and then of course the the problems with Connor Connor Williams and moving him in and out of the lineup. So there's suddenly like a, a lack of offensive line continuity at the same time. Their best offensive lineman or most important one anyway is out. And so I just everything just kind of happened at once. And and they went from you know this incredible explosive offense that was winning where they were winning because the offense the one that had to rely on, a, on a, an improving defense. So, yeah, I mean, that, that game basically just sort of cemented. I mean, I, I think Washington's defense is talented. They were probably going to have to win. The Cowboys were probably going to have to win by, you know, generating a, a solid to very good defensive performance anyway. But that was not going to be tough because Washington's offense is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, boy, boy, that, that the Cowboys offense was bad that game. They really were. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, it was, it was Dak, but it was the whole team, right? It was, I mean, I'm not sure there's anybody who, who had a, a, a marvelous game. So I think that we blame Dak that game because of our emotional response to the pick six, right? Um, our emotional response to the pick six, which uh, l- suddenly allowed an inferior team back in the game in a game they had no right to be in. And so we're, yeah, it was unfortunate, but you know, there, there, it was also just one of those sort of like bang, bang plays. And, and there were a bunch of bad tackles where they couldn't tackle Holcomb and, and, you know, it's, it's like the whole thing broke down. And so, yeah, that was a bad, that was a bad call, but um, and it was, it wasn't a great pass, but you know, the fact that it was a pick six, I think, you know, we can't really blame Dak for that. Um, because it was caught in the middle of the field. It wasn't like a, 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 an out pattern where he, he telegraphed it or something. And, um, and I really do think that, we, that we, we blame him so much because the emotions of the sort of change of fortune were so acute, and we, we, we need somebody to pin that on, and obviously Prescott's the, the, the likely candidate and culprit. Yeah. So, but, but he was never right the second half of the year. I mean, so we can actually talk about the second Washington game and we probably should talk about the second Washington game, but I don't, even though the outcome was very different, it didn't necessarily change my opinion, but let's, before we get into that, I'd love to hear what you, you thought about um, the game two weeks later, which was a, a sort of primetime game. Um, and 
this time that this time the, the Washington team was at Dallas. Yeah, no, this this one is uh, as bad as the first one was. I think the the second matchup against Washington was, you know, equally as satisfying because I mean there was so much to enjoy about this one. Um, yeah, I know that, you know, it's Washington and and, but I do think the Cowboys took a break from, or at least I think Dak took a break from playing poorly and playing cautious and and you know it's funny you mentioned um the free play because in the in the week 16 match at the second game I, I i noticed a couple moments where washington jumped off sides and mm-hmm. and dak would take shots downfield and i felt like he kind of got his confidence a little bit for for those throws and i and i do think he just had more zip on his throws he he, he looked like the dak of early um the way he was just you know throwing into you know, stepping into his throwing motion, and he just had, you know, a lot of zip on it. And he, Dak played fantastic, and and the whole team played fantastic. And I mean, there was just so much that that we were given in that game. I mean, first, I mean, with with fifty six points for starters. I mean, do you can you remember ever watching a game, a Cowboys game, where they scored that many? I I have not. I have not watched a game um, that they have scored that many points and it's um no i mean the last time they they came they even threatened that i mean other than super bowl 27 the last time they even threatened that was um was the the era of your of your first great quarterback there was a, there was a few years there i think it was either it was 83 maybe where danny white led them to a couple of 50 point um offensive outputs um, I think one was against the 49ers and there was another one, I think it was a Thanksgiving game uh, where they scored 50 and they were, they were really, really explosive. Um, but yeah, since then, nothing, nothing yeah. they approaching that. Yeah. And I th- so I think uh, I had to go back and look and it was, so it was the most points since 1980. And it was against what well, I guess they blew out the 49ers in that game. But I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I, maybe I did watch it, but I don't remember it. So the, to the, to me, this was the, the most points Mike Cowboys have should have I've watched them score in in a get, given game, um, and mm-hmm. then they did this like they had fifty six like like a minute into the fourth quarter. So I mean I was wanting to get to sixty. It was I was wanting more. I mean they had defensive touchdown. They had a special team touchdown. You had um, an offensive lineman score and a touch catching touchdown pass. I mean just a, they had everything. So um, even Cooper Rush got in the action. You know later with uh, he had a touchdown pass to Malik Turner. Uh, it was, it, it was, it was fun to watch. I mean, I no, no, no question. So, so let's let let me uh, just kind of review quickly the Cowboys for uh, opening drives. So, of course, their first drive, six plays, seven yards, and they punted. Um, and in Washington's first play, they threw a pick uh, uh, to Trevon Diggs. So the Cowboys get the ball back on their own twenty-nine. And then here are their next here are their next drives: nine plays, seventy-one yards, touchdown. Eight plays, seventy-four yards, touchdown. Demarcus Lawrence interception touchdown. Washington engineers a touchdown drive to make it 21-7. Cowboys respond, eight plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Next drive, nine plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Then last, last uh, at the end of the half, 12 plays, 89 yards, touchdown. It was, it, it, was, it was an awesome and consistent offensive performance that we hadn't seen really since the New England game. And I mean, like maybe even, maybe even since the I don't know. I mean, I may, maybe it might have been the most consistently explosive, um, not explosive, consistently 
uh, sustained offensive performance of the year. I, I, st- I still don't, I mean, when you look at that game, there were some long passes, but I didn't necessarily feel like they were relying on explosives. I think that they were just focused and fired up and beating on a, a team that was had some internal dissension and was had sort of given up. Um, it, it, it was glorious, but I, and yes, there were some explosive plays, but I didn't necessarily have my, uh, like have the feeling like, Oh, okay. They've, they've, they've righted the offensive ship, even though they scored 56. And it was, I mean, yes, it was, it was awesome. I loved the game. I loved it. Um, but I left that, I left that game still thinking there's still some work to do on offense. If they're going to do anything in the playoffs. You know, that's interesting. You say that because I left that game feeling differently. Like, I was I've been worried up until that game, and then suddenly I'm like, have I been worrying for nothing? I mean, because where did this come from? Is Dak actually? I mean, he, does he have this in him, and he's just kind of been, you know, coasting sort of, and it's like, and now it's like, okay, it's time to get the business, you know, down to business, and then because you have to admit, even though it was it was Washington, and even though it was just one game. They played extremely well to to be able to, like you said, you listed them the the drives and to 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 play that well, put up that many points, and just have complete dominance over a team. I mean, you have to be a good football team to achieve that. And uh, to me, I, I I started thinking, well, what do we got going on here? Is are they are they back to you know to to what they were you know pre injury? Is is this is this getting us ready for, you know, for this playoff run? Is I mean, because I was extremely worried prior, and then that game happened, and then I'm starting to think, hmm, uh, maybe it's not as bad as I think it is. I think, I think for me, um, I felt like this is a team that's executing really well, but there's still something missing. Like, I just didn't see, like, the, the sort of consistent, like, uh, big, big runs, you know, um, play after play like we'd seen earlier in the year. Remember, they were running for 200 yards a game and just reeling off big chunks. And that was that was opening up everything. And um, so, yes, there were there were some there were certainly some big plays in the passing. And there were a couple there were, there were a handful of runs over uh, over 10 yards. And so there was a at the very end of the game and in, in you know inconsequential time when nobody was wanted to tackle. Malik Turner got a 61 yard run. Uh, excuse me, a pass and catch and run. For a touchdown and you know michael gallup had a 40 yarder and cd has a 25 yarder so there were certainly some explosive but it still wasn't um they weren't as explosive as they were earlier in the year they were executing well against a team that really wasn't i felt like and so i felt like okay so maybe they turn the corner maybe this maybe maybe something uh like you know maybe, maybe they're, they've learned to execute at a high enough level so they don't have to be explosive because we talked earlier about the how, how there's such a strong correlation between um, explosive plays and scoring drives. And the alternative is just to execute really well and have longer scoring drives. And so, you know, we saw a couple of these, a couple of the drives were nine plays, 12 plays. That's really hard to do. Um, so I, I left it thinking, oh, okay. I mean, this was, this was a lot of fun. Please give me more of this, but I need to see this next week against the Cardinals. And in fact, we didn't see it next yeah, week against yeah. the Cardinals. And it, and it, and so it, it proved to be the kind of blip on the radar. And I really ultimately, like, I attribute this to the fact that Washington was done. And when the Cowboys got up 21, the Washington said, F it, forget it, we're done. And, and you know, remember they were, they, their defensive linemen were literally fighting on the sidelines. <laughs> they, they were, you hate to they, see they, it. They were so frustrated. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of many things that made this game great. Um, But I also think that, you know, this happened because there was an opponent who who felt like they needed to focus an opponent who was um, done and not focused. And that's a big difference in the NFL. Yeah. Well, be interesting to see what type of opponent they will be this season. Uh, You know, I hope that it'd be nice to just for them to just, you know, keep feuding, keep having, keep being a problem, just keep losing to the Cowboys because it's. Well, 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 so actually, yeah, let's, let's, that's a, a really important thing to talk about, but let's think about, as we're talking about that, the collective difference between the two teams that we can, that, that these two teams, excuse me, these two games sort of um, exhibit. So if we think about the, the first game, we can think about it in a couple of ways. We can think about it as a close game. We can think about it as a game where the Cowboys choked, or we can think about it as an absolute dominant butt kicking where the inferior team had a lucky drive and a pick six and made the score close. And I think actually it's the latter. I think it's, you know, in retrospect, it was, it was a nail biter and it was terrible, but I think it was, we feel it was more terrible than it was because it was so comfortable when it was comfortable. And the Cowboys had an opportunity to make it 34, nothing. I mean, they had opportunities to just absolutely, you know, extend the score so much that they would have, would have quit earlier on. And, and, you know, they would, it would have felt more like the second game. Yeah. I feel like if we look at, if we look at this, where there's a 27 to eight lead halfway through, you know, into the fourth quarter, there's, um, and then there's a 56 to 14 game with that's 42, seven, I think something like that at halftime. I mean, the, the quality in these two teams over that three week stretch is uh, there's a yawning gulf between them. And, and, and I, you know, the, the, the commanders may have made up some of that, um, some of that golf in this off season, but I don't know. I, th- that's, that's not the kind of thing you make up in a single off season. The Cowboys are a considerably better team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, it's going to be fun to have our good buddy Carson Wentz back in action. And, um, you know, it's... yeah, I mean, honestly, did they get better at quarterback from Taylor Heineke to Carson Wentz? I, I can't say they did. I honestly, you know, as, as much fun as it is to, to take shots at Carson Wentz. I, to, oh, oh, and it is fun. It is fun. It's fun. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really know because he doesn't, he hasn't had a lot around him at times. And when he, when he has, and when he's healthy, he actually had a pretty good year. And, you know, we won't talk about that. Uh, but, um, he does have the ability to make some plays. Uh, so he, to me, he's, he's sort of still kind of, he's kind of like an Eli to me. I just don't, I mean, I know he's, he's probably better than I'm willing to give him credit for, but he's, he's also not. And um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not tell, worried about you, him. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what quarterback, I'll tell you what quarterback from the past he reminds me of, and that's Jeff George. Hmm, okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Jeff George had, had a lot of physical tools. Um, when he was, when he, he was like the little girl with the curl, when he was on, he was on and he could make throws that nobody else could make. And, and, and I think that, you know, he had a long career because scouts and coaches would see him make those throws and say, Oh my God, I want that. And then they'd forget that he also made a lot of bonehead plays. And I think, and this is where he's where Carson Wentz um, is like Jeff George, I think uh, is an unlikable dude. Who, who doesn't command the respect of the guys in his locker room. Cause he's, he's kind of a weird dude and kind of a um, maybe kind of a jackass. 
And, um, and that was Jeff George. Jeff George was a guy that uh, was just kind of a, he was just kind of a, well, I mean, I, the word I just used, I think is a perfect, is a perfect word. And I, I don't think guys saw him as a, as a dude they wanted to follow. And, um, you know, but living in Philadelphia and hearing, hearing a lot of whispers about, about Wentz, I think there's a, you know, a, a lot of similar characteristics there. So it's one of those things where he, he giveth, but he's going to take us away, well, or, or giveth away to the Cowboys more often than he's going to make those, 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 big, those big plays. So he's capable of beating you. He's capable of having a great game and making great throws, but he's, he, he doesn't seem to have the clutch gene at all. Yeah, I, to me, um, to me, like when when I look at Washington as a team, I think they, they I think they have a good defense, good players on defense, and I think they they have some some pieces. And I always thought if they would just get a like a, a viable play from a quarterback, they would probably be a little bit more of a problem towards their opponents on a weekly basis. Um, and but I, they just can't. They just don't ever have that. They just they're just in all kinds of turmoil with quarterbacks. And now they're going to try the Carson Wentz experiment. And I mean, it's you know it could go okay and it could not. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm. I'll tell you what. I'm. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, it's 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 interesting because the, that team has won the NFC East uh, on on all the years where the Cowboys quarterback has gotten like really badly injured. So in fifteen and in twenty, you know, Cowboy quarterback goes down for the year, and suddenly in in a division where you know the Eagles and Giants aren't particularly strong, and suddenly, unbelievably the the you know the washington team emerges as a, as a division champion hmm. so it's weird because they've actually had a, a reasonably equitable number of division championships over the last 10 years even though they've been consistently the worst team in the nfc east yeah that is weird um, but but there's been these weird exception years where they suddenly rise up out of nowhere and win the division and, and in most of those cases not in 2012 2012 they was like robert robert griffin was just incredible but in the other years it's because Romo and then and then of course Dak went down and there was a void there was a void that was filled so I think that unless unless there's a similar sort of knock on wood there's a, uh, that doesn't happen unless there's a similar sort of like catastrophic injury to the Cowboys quarterback they have no prayer of winning the division yeah um, so last week we said that I said that I thought the Giants would be third so the question then is who's second and who's who's fourth and oh, you said I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the safe play. I'll say that I'll say that the Washington team is fourth, but I but I'm I'm not betting the house on that one. You know, it's so tough. I I mean, I think there's two things I know in is in this division about this division, and two things I would I would I would put a good size of money on, and that is the Cowboys and Eagles will finish somewhere in the top two and then the giants and the commanders will finish in the bottom two. Uh, but where they go, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's really comes down to who has who the lesser of two evils between the quarterbacks. Like how bad is Daniel Jones going to be versus how bad is Carson Wentz going to be, um, with those teams. I, I could see, honestly, I could see either one of those teams winning three games, you know, they could they could be back in the quarterback sweepstakes next next mm-hmm, draft mm-hmm. in because I mean you, you look at the roster and and you look at like the the Giants for example they have some players on offense some 
some good players that, or at least were good players. Um, so you, you look at them and you think, well, they have potential to make a little noise. Um, but then you also have Daniel Jones and, and uh, then they have uh, so many other issues too. Washington too, to me, just still has problems on, on offense. And I feel like they have Terry McLaurin, you know, McLaurin and they have Antonio Gibson and then that's pretty much it. And, mm-hmm. uh, I do, I do think they have good players on defense and, you know, and that even speaks to the fact that they hung with the Cowboys when um, the Cowboys offense was not playing well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just really tough. I don't know. I, I, I guess I would, yeah, I would probably say the Giants would be my last place team that I would predict. Um, and then, then, and then Washington maybe would be, I don't know. It's so, I, I I think we should talk. We need to pick this idea back up next week because history would suggest that there will be enough turnover in this division that either the Cowboys or the Eagles will finish third or fourth. Oh, like like, like, like history suggests that someone's going. There's going to be some kind of surprise, and maybe 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 this week this 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 year is going to go chalk, and it'll just it'd be just like you said. But like honestly, how many years in the NFC East in the last twenty has it been chalk? Very, very few. So I think I think that's a that's a that's a topic that we should reserve for um, for next week when we when we talk, when we do our, our review of our final division of opponent, the Philadelphia Fecals. Um, but let's so let's table that until then. Sounds good. That uh, sounds like a plan, and that sounds like a show. Um, that is all we have for today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blog and Voice Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, Cowboys Hot Topics, you know, players look out for at training camp, or what is your favorite summer blockbuster movie? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24, and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have Cowboys Oi with Mauricio Rodriguez. And Sunday we'll have The World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check those out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you.